Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we start today, I wonder, is there a challenge you're facing at work? Perhaps you're not sure what to do about it, or if there is anyone out there who can help you. Why not book in a call using the Calendly link in the show notes and we can have a chat. I'm always happy to help. And it's true what they say. Two heads really are better than one when you're diving deep and climbing high. Today is the final guest episode of season two. And I'm so happy to be speaking to this particular person. We've worked together in a number of different contexts and capacities over the last few years. So I would like to think that we know each other pretty well. Our intention today is to dive deep into the world of well-being and consider what it looks like as we transition out of COVID. That said, our conversations usually take us in many, many different directions. So I'm excited to see where we will end up. Currently, Head of Residential Life at the London School of Economics and Political Science, LSE, taking the strategic lead for all aspects of community building and wellbeing support. Please welcome James Greenwood. Hi James, how are you? I'm good. And I think we do know each other very well. I think we're now at that point, which is nice. It is. I mean, you're always very, very straight talking anyway. But I think now that we've moved that bit up, you're even more straight talking. And I I love that. I love that. So I know that you are very, very well known in the sector, especially in that residential life sphere. But if there is anyone listening today, and I certainly hope there is, someone that doesn't know you, perhaps you can give us a little bit of your your history and how you've ended up at LSE. Yeah, of course I can. So um, as you said, I am currently the head of residential life at LSE. I've been there about a year, so I see that as still quite new, still learning stuff. And, and I hope I'm always learning stuff. That's a healthy thing, I think, in the future. So yeah, I've been there a year but I've worked in res life for a while at many different institutions. So I was at University of the Arts before that for about seven, eight years. A slightly different role, not so much just well-being. There was all different aspects of that role. And I'd say, like most people in res life, I fell into it just kind of by accident. Um, and a lot of people that work in the sector say they just fall into it. My background is actually in events. Um, I did my degree in events management and my master's in international events management. And I always wanted to go into running big events and being involved in Olympics and all that kind of exciting stuff, but fell into res life and fell in love with res life. And, and this is where I still am. And I've always said to myself, maybe in the future, I might fall back out of res life and go to the events but who knows that chapter's yet to happen um 
but I get involved with all sorts of things, as you said, Mel. So I, I chair the Cubo Res Life group in the UK, and I also chair the UK section of the QOI, which is the international kind of version, I guess, similar to Cubo. So I get, yeah, I get involved with all the conversations, get involved with a lot of the conferences and the structure of those conferences. Uh, and I just like to talk to people. I like to network. I like to find out what's going on. And, and hopefully most people will know me, but not in an annoying way. So that's me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Where, wherever you see Res Life, your name is usually in the mix. And, and that's fantastic. So I know that your role at LSE is very much focused on community building and well-being support. So let's dive into that. Yeah. And for me, well-being's always really been important, but I think it came to the fore at the start of the pandemic, you started hearing it a lot more. A lot more businesses were like, right, we need to look after the well-being of our people. I think in universities, in fairness, we were ahead of the game because we've always considered the well-being of our students. But for you, now we're coming out the other end of it. How do you think well-being has changed? What, what are the differences that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's different for every person. I think that's the most important thing to recognise that when we talk about wellbeing, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And um, what works for me might not work for somebody else. And what works for one student might not work for another student. And I think that's, that's really good to start with that. And, and when you're managing teams and leading teams to be fully aware of what makes some people tick and then doesn't make others tick. And um, I think that's a skill that you develop over over time. Yeah, as you said, the pandemic helped with that. I think that it it pushed things along a lot quicker. Um, the discussion now of going back to the office and blended approach and, and what works for this person or works for that person is a conversation we probably should have been having before the pandemic. We should have been considering people's personal lives. If they've got children, you know, different times that they want to come into the office or different days that work better for them. Luckily, we're doing that now. And I'm so happy that the pandemic made that happen, especially as a, I still like to call myself a young person, a fairly young person, because I think that's quite normal for, for our generation, that we expect all of that flexibility. And actually, when you're looking at the job market, you look for those qualities from an employer. And if, if you can offer that, then you're going to attract the best talent. But as I said, well-being is different for everybody. Um, we're not going back to the same nine to five. I think it's healthy to have discussions as well about what works really in terms of your working day. So sometimes we all get up in the morning and we think, you know, what, I can't be doing with work today. I can't, I'm really stressed. And I think it's healthy to have those open discussions with your, your line manager around how to best structure your work and how to get the best out of your teams. And sometimes that might mean just having a day off here and there and, and treating well-being and mental health a bit more like, you know, when we wake up with a flu or a cold and and that's the way we should be discussing it. We should be openly discussing well-being in a much more positive way. But that's a new skill to learn, especially, I'd say, for people that have line managed, especially in HE for a very long time, where that's not always been natural to, to have those open discussions. So I try my best when I meet with my teams to touch on areas if they want to. Some team members are more open than others. Um, but I think it's really healthy to have those discussions and have them on a regular basis, one-to-one, uh, -one. and also in, in team environments too. Um, I know as a team, we now meet uh, once a week, our official 
all get together day in real life, I- IRL as the young people call it. We go around the room. So we start the day with a rant and rave and each person will say something that's really positive that week or from the previous week and then something that's, you know, annoying them and bugging them. And it can be work or it can be personal life. And we've created that so that it feels a bit more organic and natural to talk about things that are negative. And, and a lot of that sometimes links to our well-being. Um, so I've gone around the houses, but that's my answer to your question. <laughs> that's great. And there's so much to to unpick there, because I think that certainly the pandemic has encouraged employers to consider flexible working. But if I look at your approach, I still think that is quite far ahead of where I see a lot of my clients, a lot of my family, friends, whoever that that are working, this whole idea that to be really open and honest about, well, actually today, I'm not feeling great, I'm not going to deliver, or what hours work, work best. And I think that is a real, real step change for people. And even me in my own business, it's only me. And so I can work pretty much when I choose. And, and there are often days where, you know, because of family commitments or whatever, I'm not working during the day, but I sit down seven, eight o'clock at night. And I do have days, like you say, where actually I really don't feel like I'm really not, my head's not in the game today. But even so, I still have that internal dialogue with myself about, oh my goodness, I, you, you know, is this, is this right? There's only me, no one else knows. As long as my clients, I'm delivering for my clients, who cares? Um, and I've got better at that. So I think it is really interesting that that's the approach that you take. And I think there's a lot to be said for it because I know when, when I'm having an off day, I can spend three hours trying to do something. If I go away from it, I go for a walk, do whatever it is I need to do, come back, I can nail it in half an hour. And it's like, what? Yeah, no, I, f- I feel exactly the same, you know, and I'm a night person as well, so I tend to work better at night, um, which doesn't help a nine to five business in any way. But that's the way I work. And I always have done. I am more productive. And I, and I think I'm more creative at nighttime than I am the daytime. And a lot of people are like that. But it's tapping into those skills and, and seeing whether you could have that flexibility with your teams. It's harder. I work in res life and that falls within buildings and accommodation and, and all of that and the halls, which we need people there to deliver a service. We need receptionists. We need cleaners. We need all of those staff that fall within our areas. So there isn't an option for those staff to to have that flexibility. So I think it's about seeing what works with different staff members and and their roles, but actually being fair across the board as much as you can so that everybody feels like they're getting a fair deal and they're looked after. And, And a lot of that isn't about creating new policies and procedures or changing people's works. It's just about having great managers that listen to their staff. And listening is one of the key skills in all of that. Sometimes you never have to give anybody any advice or say, you know, here's the employee assistance program or here's this or do you want to change your work? And I was actually, they just want someone to talk to. Mm. They just want to offload. And actually they go away and I sometimes get emails saying, thank you so much for listening. don't want anything more than that. And that's so easy. But, you know, closing your mouth now and again and just nodding and agreeing and listening is so important. I think people forget that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, you you haven't been... uh, LSE that long in terms of university a year is like you're still a newbie you're a real newbie um so when you introduce those team meetings and and I love that idea I might have to steal that one the (laughs) rant and rave I love it I love it 
how did your team respond to that in the first instance? I think they thought I was a bit of a weirdo because there wasn't just that. There was loads of kind of new things that I wanted to bring into the LSE. And I brought that from, um, I guess, working in at University of the Arts, the arts world, it works slightly different. And other areas too, private companies that work slightly different to HE. Yeah, I think my team really enjoyed the way that we work now. It's slightly different. Um, we know each other very well, both on a personal level and a professional level. Whereas I think before they kind of just knew each other on a professional level. So those kind of new things I brought in they understand and they accept and it's making the team better and work better and we're getting more out of it for all of us and the great thing now is that I'm seeing that actually the team are helping each other that's really important for me and suggesting new ideas new things that we can do which we've never done before and that creativity is is sparked but that's that all links into well-being that's all about supporting people's well-being and getting the best out of people and making them feel like they're part of something um, and that they're achieving something, you know, there's an end goal there, it's part of the wider university strategy, all of the corporate stuff actually on the ground, you've got to sometimes make that a, a bit of a reality as a line manager. So yeah, it's going in the right direction, I'd say. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing, isn't it, is if you are bringing in new ideas, it's understanding that how people react to change. And that's why I asked the question, because so often, you know, when you first start, it can feel a bit like you're you're pushing up a, up a muddy hill. But actually, over time, when people realise that, you know, they leave the cynicism behind, they leave the scepticism and they actually start to embrace it. But recognising that it does take time. And, and I think, you know, what you've said again and again already in this conversation is that we're all different. And what works for you won't work for me, won't work for a member of your, your team or will work or won't work. So yeah. I think that's really important as well. So for you personally, how do you look after your well-being? Oh, what a question. Um, I would say, so this has changed. The pandemic has changed me 100% as it's changed everybody. But pre-pandemic, I would say that I wasn't probably very good at managing my own well-being um, or I didn't know how to properly. But the pandemic, being stuck inside, I live on my own. Um, and I think that impacted me a bit more too, that, you know, I'd kind of had to look after myself and fend for myself for the first time ever, um, you know, fully. And there were certain things that I learned. I learned that, you know, I like to simple things like go for a walk and just escape and switch the computer off. And, you know, in mental health and mental health training, we talk about a bucket analogy and you fill it up and fill it up and fill it up with all of these things. And then eventually it overspills. Um, and I never let my bucket get to that point now. It never overspills. I know to just walk away switch off and just take some downtime and leave my phone at home usually I'll just leave everything technology wise at home and go for a walk I've also discovered that I can cook so that's quite nice I was awful at cooking before and I ordered so many takeaways it's embarrassing really um but now I don't you know I know how to cook and, and I find enjoyment from that I really like to challenge myself as well with, in terms of different recipes and my downtime I guess is slightly different to other people I'm not I can't sit still I'm awful in the cinema I can't watch Netflix I like to do things I like to physically be doing things and learning new things so cooking for me is a is a form of relaxation but also I feel like I'm learning something from it and that really helps me I just have to be careful with how much wine I drink whilst I'm cooking <laughs> <laughs> love it and 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 I think that that is and, and you use the bucket analogy I use bucket analogy but not going 
upwards I, I go downwards so we learn to clear stuff out yeah and we think we've got to the bottom of the bucket but there's always something else <laughs> that, that we can learn and, and and nail so this episode is going out at probably one of the busiest time for those of us that work in higher education you know other people are off on their holidays relaxing by the beach or the pool and those of us in HE are gearing up for for students return and I think this year possibly more than any other year you know having had two years of the pandemic actually what is it going to be like to have a a full campus again so how are you going to support those people that will then be supporting students when they return to campus yeah I mean you're right in terms of what you're saying about it's our busiest time of the year um I, I always look at it kind of like a countdown it, it, it's literally seven weeks six I think we're now on six weeks I looked at my calendar this morning and thought Shit, you know it's six weeks oh my god um and you do you it gets closer and closer and that pressure builds and builds on all of the staff at all levels doing all of the various roles within accommodation and, and residential life I think that's really important as different line managers across the organization to notice change in people make sure that you know you're, you're, you're providing always enough time for people to talk to you for them to offload um, but then also as a team to come together and especially at this time of the year and I you know I've had managers in the past that said oh no we can't have a summer party it's too it's too busy this time of year well we should we should encourage people just to take an afternoon off just stop the world will not end if you know, we've still got four weeks left and not all the rooms are turned around. It will happen. But it's really important to bring those teams together and, and build that team morale and teams support each other. And it's not always a line manager supporting the teams. Actually, we want to encourage, as I said earlier, that organic kind of teams helping teams. So I think all of that's really important. That's all kind of, I guess, the low level stuff and the social and fun stuff. But um, the more serious side of it is things like the, the mental health first aid training we now roll out across our teams. We started with it just being in Res Life, and I think the ambition over the next year or so will be actually to branch that out to nearly 300 people that work across residences and catering and for everybody to get some form of um, formal training around supporting mental health for students, but also part of that training is about yourself and, and managing your own mental health. And then where we do deal with some not-so-nice stuff once the students move in, it's around either group support group therapy group uh, mental health sessions or or one-on-one and we will do everything we can to whatever level it costs to support our staff and then the day there are there are absolute assets they're the most important people at every single level without those teams we can't we can't deliver a great service to the students so that's all we care about at the end of the day yeah absolutely and again so much to unpick on and that I mean I I trained as a mental health first aider last year and it was really interesting and it really made me consider my own mental health because I think that's the place that it has to start isn't it and and actually I think within an organization it's about helping people understand that they are also responsible for their mental health it isn't something that well actually my line manager needs to look after my mental health it has to start with you looking after yourself which when we are busy what's often the first thing that goes like you said oh and I've worked with many many managers oh we're far too busy no we can't have a party no we can't have our usual team we can't do all of those things that we would normally do to support each other because actually we're too busy doing the doing yeah 
And that's almost like counterintuitive because what you need to do is build that absolutely in and ensure that people step away from what they were doing. Because otherwise, all that happens is you get that law of diminishing returns. Of course, it's just a vicious circle and mm. you have to that break stop now and again. You know, and, and, and some of the previous people that have been on this podcast, I've listened to various people where the same messages been put out which is about you've got to love yourself before you can love other people like that's so important Mm. you've got to be at one and and be comfortable in your own body and you've got to do all of that you've got to be authentic to yourself all of those key things before you can help others and I try my best to portray that out as much as I can and yes we all have bad days but I'll be honest if I have a bad day and I'll tell my team and I'll say can we shift that one-to-one because I just need a bit of thinking time today or whatever it is just be open and honest because we're not all absolutely perfect and that's okay yeah you know it's okay to not be okay as they say yeah, that's a favourite phrase now, isn't it? I I love that, but it feels like it's been overused. So it's like, right, need to come up with something else, <laughs> else for that. So moving tack just a little bit, because you have worked in various environments for various managers and leaders, but also through all the networking and the different associations you belong to. So if you were to sum up what leadership means for you, what would you say? I think number one, setting a good example, setting a really good example. And we all have had good leaders in the past. We've had some bad leaders in the past. And I think that if you can take some some examples of the good leaders and and not do what the bad leaders have done, then hopefully that's, you know, half of the job done there. But yeah, I think it's really important to set a good example and, and be present and be there and listen. As I said before, it's so important as a leader not to constantly dictate out or chuck work out actually it's nice to listen back and and take feedback and take criticism too as I said before we're not all perfect and I think things like mentoring and 360 reviews all of that stuff is so important as a leader Mm. and hopefully again linking back to the, the theme of well-being it helps your own well-being because it helps you a bit further in terms of that being comfortable yourself and being true to yourself because actually you know I'm not perfect and I love getting feedback when people say actually I don't really like how you dealt with that or you could have done it this way. And I think, actually, you know what, you're right. And without you saying that, I wouldn't have known that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think being comfortable to get that criticism back is a great sign of good leadership. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I think the one thing that I've seen you do in a number of different roles is actually be really clear with people from the outset about how you are, what you expect, but also in terms of, listening to people back because if I look at the people that that I work with and different leaders across the way is that actually those conversations don't happen Mm -hmm. and so there's a an assumption there or uh, well they should just know that and and why are they like that whereas actually if you create that trust and you create that openness then those conversations can happen which means down the line you're saving heartache for yourself and for them and you develop a much better working relationship. Yeah, it's two ways, isn't it? It's a two-way relationship. And that's the most important thing that, as I said before, you're not just chucking the work out, but you're actually receiving stuff back. And being open and honest with certain scenarios that pop up, you know, it might be something personal that a team comes to you with and says, you know, I can't cope with this because this has happened outside of work or this has happened to my parents. And actually, sometimes it's good just to be open and honest, listen to the person, but say, actually, I've never helped somebody through this before. I've never dealt with it myself personally. So I I really do not know what you're going through and and I might never not know, but I'm here to listen. I'm here to, you know, give any advice or guidance I can or or signpost you to 
professional support. But I'm going to be honest with you. It's not something that I've, I've dealt with. But I want to learn from you and I, I will sit and listen. Yeah. And it's all confidential as much as we can. Brilliant. So any other tips? So if somebody is listening to this and saying, this is all great, but I'm in the middle of it and I just don't know which way to turn, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, again, it links back to what we said before, that everything is different for each person. So what might help me might not help somebody else. And there is the formal roots of getting support in terms of well-being and mental health. And again, that, that doesn't work for everybody. Um, smaller kind of changes, lifestyle changes, a bit of fitness can help some people. But I know for me, I couldn't think of anything worse in terms of fitness. But I think it's just listening to people and listening what do they want and what do they not want. Um, and actually... You know, if you're listening and you're, you report to somebody, you don't need to speak to that person. Um, you can go outside of your organisation, you can speak to one of your teammates, you can speak to a family member, and that's all healthy. You know, I have people in my family that I help in terms of their mental health. They won't go to anybody else, but they'll go to me because I hope they trust me and they know that I won't tell anybody else and hopefully they know I'm a good listener and I'll try my best just to, I guess, take that on board and, and not give too much back, but when they need it, give back what they need so yeah yeah and I think as you said we all need something different and it is about trial and error isn't it so yeah you know it might be fitness for one it might be meditation for another it might be going for a walk or in in my case open water swimming which is my current favorite Mm. so there are all different ways and I think that if you don't find it at the first attempt then try something else and that's where you know talking to people about what's going on for them, what works for them is just a way of gathering, well, okay, I'll try that with no expectation as to whether it will work or or not. Yeah. And the the last thing I'd say on that is just to remember that it's okay to take time out to, you know, it can get to the point where things build up and build up and build up. And you do sometimes get to that breaking point and you think, I can't cope with this anymore. It's all right to have some time off from work, especially when we work in higher education and areas like higher education that are quite supportive of treating mental health I guess a bit more like physical health just take the time off take a few days off take a week off take the time that you need to reset recharge get some support if you need it professionally and then come back when you're your best self you know you're doing it for yourself but you're also doing it I guess for your team and everybody else so um, there's no shame at all Uh, I would say take that time yeah brilliant thank you changing tact slightly you know these questions are coming when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? Wow, I think that, and this is deep, we're going deep now. <laughs> Good, I love going deep. <laughs> we're going deep, deep. Um, I think that the time I had to dig the deepest was actually, I was, I was quite young, I was probably about 15, 16. And at that time, I was coming to terms with my sexuality um, and I was coming out to you know friends and family I'm from a very small northern town. Probably the terminology of the only gay in the village was <laughs> the thing at the time. Um, and that was tough. That was really tough. And I had to really, you know, I had to really dig deep and think, how am I going to do this? And this is going back, I don't know, about 20 years, something like that. So actually, although 20 years doesn't sound like that long ago, in, in terms of um, LGBT rights, it is quite a long time ago and there wasn't much kind of support then. There was the odd person on telly and it wasn't talked about at school. And I would say probably at the time it did, at that young age, it impacted my well-being and my mental health, um, which I believe now has made me a much more resilient person as, a, as an adult because 
that was tough at that time and not really having anyone to talk to, I guess. I had nobody else that I knew that was like me. There was no support in my school at all. Uh, and that's why I'm quite passionate about pushing that across now in my job and supporting students and being open and honest about who I am because I'd always want them to come to me if they need support. And that was, yeah, it was a tough few years. My family were amazing and, and they were so supportive when um, I spoke to them and my brothers were just unbelievable and there's no, there's been no problems. But actually, when I look at my social life and my friends, you know, I did lose friends totally, which was upsetting at the time. But, you know, I still didn't know wh- where to go with it. And I just had to keep thinking that, you know, this isn't going to be something that's going to pass. It's with me for the rest of my life. I think I was old enough and mature enough at the time to, to realise that, you know, I just have to come to terms with this. I make it sound like it's a really negative thing. It's not. And I'm quite yeah. happy. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not kind of against um, my own sexuality in any way. But at the time, you you don't know anybody else. You don't know anybody else that's going through that. So so it is tough. Um and people are still going through that now in this day and age, yeah. especially outside of the UK. So I would say, you know, that that is where I've definitely digged the deepest and learned most of my skills now in life, I'd say, from those years. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you for, for sharing that. That certainly was deep. Can I ask one question? Yes, you can. So when you decided to come out, Thinking back, was there a, a trigger or was there something that you just went, OK, I need to do this yeah. now? I'm just thinking that for some people, they can live in that place of fear. Of and I just think it might help them to understand what it was. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll be brutally honest with you at the time. I guess it was just blaringly obvious okay. <laughs> <laughs> at school, you know, and I think I had a choice. I kind of had to tell people. Um, and also I was transitioning. I was going from that stage of leaving school and, and going to college. And I knew that that environment would be a bit more open and people there would be a bit more accepting. So I guess I was lucky in that aspect that I was in that phase then. And and actually, when I talk to people now, that's the key point. It's either going from school to college or sometimes college to university, which is why we're here to support students going through that coming out period but it is tough I guess I'm not going to gloss it over and make it sound like it's it's easy but I think as society changes and as you know culture changes and what we see on the television changes things are getting better and will continue to get better now that doesn't just apply to people you know in terms of sexuality it's all protected characteristics things are slowly getting better so I would always say there's always light at the end of the tunnel if you're in that situation where you're a bit worried it will be okay eventually it just takes time sometimes um yeah brilliant thank you thank you so much when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree I think other people have said this on this podcast and I was trying to think of something else to not say what everybody else has said but I think it has to be said it's COVID okay you know at the time when COVID hit I was at a point in my career where I was ready, I guess, to move on. I loved my job and I I still love now the organisation where I worked before. Um, I had a great boss um, who's now a friend. It was all good. There was no problems. It was just career and and progression in terms of my career. There was nowhere for me to go. So as I said, I had a good boss. So we had an open conversation about what I should do next. And and that wasn't to stay there. It was to look for something else. And and she was really supportive about that. and, And it wasn't negative in any way. But then the pandemic hit. So the first thing I did was call my boss and say, you know, the conversation we had about leaving, I don't want to leave. <laughs> I do want to be employed during a global pandemic and still earn some money. So that changed. And so to challenge me, um, I was asked to 
to support with our COVID recovery readiness kind of project at the university to to reopen our halls and in a safe way and get everything back online as much as we can. And that was hard because I guess things were changing so quickly. The rules were changing so quickly. It was hard to keep up with things. And then as we've just said about our own mental health during those periods too, we all got, you know, impacted in some way. So you're trying your best to do the best you can for the organization and for the students, but actually personally, you're also really impacted. And at the time, you know, you're trying to support your teams and your teams are telling you, you know, this happened to me, this happened to me, I'm upset about this. And, and then you think to yourself, well, it's happening to me too, but I can't really say that to you because I'm here to support you. So I'd say that's why I, I really, I was a fish trying to climb a tree. And I think we still are. Yeah. We're quite there in terms of pandemic and where that might go in the next few months. So watch this space. Yeah. And it is no surprise, but it is interesting that that everyone has talked about the pandemic in, in different ways. So I think maybe come 2023, when I ask that question, people will not be quoting the pandemic. Yeah. I'd be interested to see, you know, if there's any research in the future over those those two years, two and a half years, and what well-being and mental health impacts there were across the population, work and personal life. I, I cannot wait to see that research because I think that some alarming data might get released there. Yeah. And I think for me, the interesting thing will be, what are going to be the long-term changes? Mm, 100%. Because I don't think they're going to be as big. You know, we have short-term memories. So things, you know, if you look at how busy London is already, you know, some days it doesn't feel like there are lots and lots of people working from home because it's still as manic as it ever was. So, so it will be interesting. It will really be interesting to see what happens. So as always, it's been a fantastic conversation I could chat to you I say that to all my guests because it's true I just love to chat so I could chat to you for hours and and I'm sure that you'll be back in some point in the future talking about something else but in the meantime if people want to get in touch with you what is the best way for them to do that probably LinkedIn I'm a bit LinkedIn obsessed so that's where I am to search James Greenwood and there I am or on Twitter I think my handle, and I should know this, is James Res Life or Res Life James, one of the two. Search for those yeah. and you'll find me. I'll figure it out and I'll put it in the show notes for people. Thank you. So it just leads me to say thank you so much for chatting to me today. And, and hopefully we have helped people think about their well-being in this really, really busy time. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with? I would say this is just how I live my life is say yes to everything. Try everything once, say yes to everything, give it all a go and have no regrets. That goes completely. I think your motto is something like in a world of can'ts or, or maybe it does support that motto. I think it does support the motto. So I would say, say yes to everything. Yeah. Can do leadership in a world of can'ts, say yes to everything. There you go. Can do, can do it, do it all. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't.